Susan McLaughlin here with the Align for Health podcast. If you're living in chronic pain or are just interested to learn how people have successfully gotten themselves out of pain, this is the podcast for you. Tune in to listen to interviews of everyday people taking steps toward a pain-free life. Today I have the pleasure to interview Vanessa Gengler. I first met Vanessa when she scheduled a Skype session with me to refine her restorative exercise practice. Vanessa lived for 15 years having some chronic thing hold her back, and now she can live her life where she can move her body all day long feeling happy and healthy. Hi Vanessa, thank you for being here today. Hi, thanks Susan. I'm glad to be here too. Cool. Now, we had a, a conversation um, via email, and part of what I'd like to do today is really be able to get into your process, because it kind of went through many different stages for you, mm-hmm. and if it's okay, I'd like to just begin with with that very beginning for you in your 20s. You, you described yourself in this email as a fit wreck. So what does that mean? What, what's a fit wreck? I think a lot of people can relate to it, but I'd like you to describe a little bit what was happening for you. Yeah, sure. So the term fit wreck, um, the credit for that term should go to Tim Harris, who is a restorative exercise specialist, and he's the person that I first heard the term fit wreck from. Uh-huh. But so I think of a fit wreck as somebody who is into fitness, into exercise, um, going to the gym, doing whatever their exercise passion is, you know, probably as much as possible, maybe overdoing it a bit. And at the same time, um, their body is not cooperating with them to do the activities that they at least think they love to do. So they may have pain, they may have recurring injuries, um, you know, they may, you know, it could be a variety of different things, but Basically, um, their body is not really supporting what the fitness that they're doing, usually because of pain. And I definitely was in that in that category very early on in my twenties. What was your sport? Um, well, I wasn't really a sport. <laughs> I, you know, starting from my late teens, I was always an act active as a kid. And then when I got to college, um, I got very into fitness and exercise and going to the gym and developed an eating disorder. So that was part of what kind of funneled my desire for fitness was part of what I was dealing with with the eating disorder was like a um, exercise addiction almost or just over-exercising. Okay. So yeah, that would be, I mean, that's definitely not a sport of over-exercising, but um, you know, I would be running, I'd be doing strength training, I'd be doing Pilates, I'd just be doing as much activity as I, as I could, um, but all in sort of that exercise category. And then when I wasn't doing that, I would be kind of in class or sitting or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So this was during college? Yeah, it was early on in college, yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. how did that, so you just kind of paired wanting to exercise, going to the gym, and then you said you started to develop an eating disorder. Share a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I've never been someone who was, had any, was overweight or struggled with my weight, and, um, but I did gain a little bit of weight my first year of college, but really not very much. Um, I feel that for me and for a lot of women, 
um, eating disorders often stem from, honestly, less from wanting to look a certain way and more for, from a desire for control over okay. external circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was definitely the case for me. Like, I felt like I was in this new environment. Um, there were a lot of changes in my life at the time, and that was something that I kind of... Um, you know, was using as a way to to regain control. You know, I, I saw it happening with a lot of other women mm-hmm. at, at my school as well. So it was very common to see mm-hmm. that. And the over-exercising, was that also a way to get, get that inner control? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, when I think about it, it was like my whole day was framed around what I was eating or not eating and exercise you know and I mean I was still a good student I was doing all the college stuff but that was like the the framework for a lot of my days Mm -hmm. and that went on probably like for a year of that being very very um a big focus um and then I kind of started to snap out of it and begin to get treatment Mm -hmm. um but I mean I'll be honest like an eating disorder um, anorexia, bulimia, I had anorexia. It's a long recovery. It isn't something that, you know, you start therapy and you start doing things. Um, it's, it takes, it's kind of like, it takes a lot longer than people think it, you know, you don't just go and have a few conversations and you're like, okay, I'm all ready. Cause right. you have to deal with food and movement all the time. So mm-hmm. you have to begin to, to, to look, you know, change how you're thinking about things. Mm-hmm. So do you feel that you, like nutritionally, did that affect maybe some of the injuries you had? What, what were you, you mentioned you had some chronic tendonitis. Yeah. Yeah. So I started to get in, go into sort of like a slow recovery from the eating disorder and part of what I wanted to do was to begin to slow down my exercise because mm-hmm. and and kind of make that less of a priority. And it kind of helped that I was, it's not good, but I was having pain. So that sort of, you know, I had been running a lot and I started to experience knee pain. And I did see that as a signal that this wasn't really working for my body at that time. Right. And the running was very much like part of a, sort of like a compulsion to run a lot. So I thought, okay, my knee's hurting. I'm going to switch to different activities. But, you know, it's like the pain was sort of moved to different areas. So I began to do, you know, walking and cycling and other things. But I had this tendonitis in my in my right ankle that flared up and was like, I mean, I think it went on from probably age 24 or 25 until I was about 29 or so. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of years of okay. ankle pain. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a long time. And I mean, it got to the point where it was like walking was painful. Right. Yeah. So you modified, did you, did you go see somebody at the time? Did you use orthotics or anything like that to try and get that under control? Yeah, so I started seeing a physical therapist, and through my 20s, I saw a bunch of different physical therapists, and they recommended orthotics for my shoes and um, to wear shoes all the time, indoors and outdoors, and um, so I was kind of like really in the house because I had never worn shoes indoors, Right. but I'm like, okay, if they say it's going to make this better, then I'll do that, so 
I started wearing the orthotics and the shoes all the time. And I even started wearing motion control shoes for probably a couple of years. So they're like anti-pronation type shoes. So, I mean, I was really like casting my feet as much Mm -hmm. as like in my ankles as much as possible. And, um, you know, the thing is like, I would go in to see the physical therapist and have some relief, but it was like, you know, I'd go until I would have no more insurance left for the year, you know, and then I'd be like, okay, I guess I'll see you, you know, later because it it dissolves. Yeah. So it's just this ongoing, ongoing thing. Mm -hmm. At the time, were you still able to exercise? I kept changing out different activities. So I went from, you know, I, I did cycling, but I could still feel my ankle being in pain even during the cycling. And, you know, I was hike. I would be like, okay, I'll hike and walk. And it, it actually kind of got worse through that. And then I, I switched to yoga. I got really, really into yoga for quite a while. And, um, but it was, I was still having pain during, during that too. Um, so yeah, I was always trying to find a way to like not experience <laughs> this pain, and I could not get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And what and the, your biggest area sounds like knee stuff, and then it yeah. kind of switch between knee and ankle. Yeah, knee and ankle, and then an, a turning point. Like for me, when I think about you know my story, I think you know there's this period in college with the eating disorder, which is sort of like a crisis, and then dealing with the ankle. But then the second crisis was I switched, I went from a retail job to a desk job. So I still had the ankle stuff going on, but I went to a job where I sat all day. And that was when my body kind of like went into this revolt mode. Like Interesting. Yeah, it really did. So, I mean, I certainly in my retail job, I worked at a bookstore and I stood most of the time and I know my alignment was not great, but I was in, I was, you know, okay. And, um, then when I switched to working at a desk and I had to sit, I was in so much pain. I mean, it was almost like within a couple weeks of starting this job, I, I was thinking, you know, I had worked some desk jobs before, but I don't know. I think the state of my body at that time, I just couldn't, it made it really hard to adjust. Um, and I remember thinking, is this, like, is everybody experiencing this? Because, like, I cannot sit here. <laughs> okay, so you correlated that yes. right away then. Okay. Yes. Oh, yes. That's, that's fascinating. Did you make any changes then with your desk? Yeah. So I, you know, the place that I worked was a nonprofit, and all the furniture was donated, and the desk was like this 1950s typewriter desk. <laughs> yeah. So there was nothing ergonomic about any, or the chair, or anything. Um, and so the organization was kind enough to have an occupational therapist come in who did ergonomics and she looked at my desk and she was like, oh my God, I can't believe they're having you use this. And, you know, my husband came in like the next night and like saw the legs off the down off the desk. So it wasn't so high up and, uh, they got me a new chair and, you know, a head foot headset for the phone. And so it was interesting because, you know, in the woman, the, the um, consultant, the occupational therapist had me, you know, put in this lumbar cushion and throw my shoulders back and pull them, you know, pinch my shoulders together and do this like very, you know, very lordotic posture. Right. And um, 
you know, and then she left and I'm like, okay, I felt slightly better, but I felt extremely rigid. Like I couldn't move in that position. I was like, I can only be exactly like this. And if I move at all, my back pain is going to come back and the carpal tunnel is going to come back. And cause it would, it was like, I couldn't move around freely. I felt very static uh-huh. and, um, like I was always on the edge of having this pain come back in my, because at that point with the desk job, it was like my back and my arm and my hand and my shoulder. Um, yeah. And I'm thinking, how am I going to work an office job? This is just, I don't know how people do this. So you went from fit rec to desk rec. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Yeah. So what happened then? Um, so, you know, and I'm still like having this weird ankle thing and I'm like, am I a weirdo? Like, is this normal that I'm having all these problems and, you know, I'm not overdoing it. So why am I in like exercise? So why am I having pain? Um, you know, I started to, I started to kind of think about my footwear a bit. I guess that would be sort of like the next piece of the puzzle for me because I was still having the ankle pain and I was, it drives me crazy when I can't go for a walk because I just love to go for a walk Mm -hmm. and to have something as simple as walking, which I just feel like is a vital part of life, be giving you pain. It was really difficult. So Um, I had heard about minimal footwear when I had been looking online and sort of researching treatments for my, the ankle issue. And I kind of got in my brain, like, should I try to think about that? Um, but it wasn't really until, I would say it wasn't really until I was pregnant, um, that I made more of a shift because, when you're pregnant, your feet start to swell. Okay. Uh, or they did for me. Yeah. And I just didn't really want to wear the shoes indoors anymore. And I didn't feel like I, I just, it was summertime and um, that wasn't something I wanted to do. So I stopped wearing my shoes so much. And I noticed that my ankle didn't hurt as much. Oh, no way. And I do think maybe there was something, I know that my alignment was very poor when I, during my pregnancy, but I kind of wonder if I, I don't know, somehow was carrying myself in a slightly different way also. Uh-huh. I don't know. Something shifted, and I stopped wearing the shoes, and um, I was surprised that nothing got worse for my ankle anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like it was some kind of miracle. Really? Yeah. Well, no I just so oh did you burn? God. Did you burn those uh, control shoes? Then they're gone. I they're didn't gone. even donate them to any. I was like, these are going in the trash. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> so that's great. That 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 pregnancy seems to be a pivotal time for uh, the change in the ankle and into a new transition for you. Yes. Um, Post pregnancy sounds like there was um, quite that. That whole path was just another journey in and of itself. So what yeah. happened What happened after delivery for you? Well, can I talk a little bit about my pregnancy first? Oh, yeah. Yeah, just about the things that I noticed and or like didn't really understand at the time, but then later kind of saw as clues to what happened. Ooh, that's after. awesome. Yes. Yeah, because, you know, so I, I really kind of enjoyed my pregnancy more than I thought I would because Uh of the history of the eating disorder even though I was at a place where I was okay with like being at a healthy weight and all that stuff I was still curious to see 
you know, how would I respond to like getting bigger and having, you know, carrying a baby around and all this stuff and all the physical changes. Yeah. But I actually really enjoyed that part. But I did have a bunch of things like, you know, I could, I noticed that my pelvic floor started to feel pretty heavy. Right. Probably by in the middle, like the second trimester, I started to feel kind of heaviness in my pelvic floor. And pretty early on, it may have been even like the beginning of the first trimester, I saw, you know, I would be laying in bed on my back and get up the way I had before I had been pregnant, just like sit right up as if I was doing like a sit up or something. Right. And my stomach would like do this crazy like bread loaf. Yes. Doming thing. And I was like, what is this? (laughs) So really early on, I was experiencing some um, diastasis recti, which is when your abdominal muscles begin to separate. Um, And that just kind of got worse throughout my pregnancy Um, to the point where by the third trimester, I could feel like it really felt like my all the way up to my rib cage, like this splitting. This I could feel kind of this splitting, pulling sensation. Right. Um, that was very uncomfortable. Yeah, it was pretty intense sensation. Was there anything d- that you did to to help with that at the time? You just <laughs> went through it. Oh gosh. Well, I remember doing like prenatal Pilates videos that were probably a terrible idea that probably (laughs) I don't think I did much to help it because Uh I think all the things that I thought about carrying my body you know the like quote unquote right way were probably contributing I know that they contributed to a lot of the issues that I that I had you know because I was very much in this habit of holding my shoulders back and lifting up my chest which is really just a big contributor to getting that separation in your abdominal muscles. Yeah. Do you were did you also uh, suck in a lot? Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean that's like a whole other thing because you know I had seen so many different physical therapists and you know some of the things that the information I got was really helpful and you know I'd have relief for certain things, but I also got a really a lot of poor kind of postural advice. Right. You know, I was told like that I was hyperlordotic, so the one physical therapist instructed me to tuck my pelvis under, right? And keep my abs tighter, you yeah. know, tight. And so, and I remember trying that, and walking around, and being like, "This just feels weird." But you know, I'm a good. <laughs> I want to do a good job. Yeah. <laughs> so I will do this. So, um, you know. I had a lot of, you know, and being told a lot, you know, good posture is usually seen as pulling the shoulders back, lifting the chest. Right. Um, those are really common um, pointers that people get. Yeah. Now, can I ask you, you said it didn't feel right when they really had you go into that contrived position. Mm-hmm. When you brought your shoulders back and kind of that pinching them together, did that have the same effect as the other postural advice? Well, I feel like that's really interesting because what I find with doing alignment work on myself and with other people is there's sort of like an emotional component with the physical Mm. part. Right. Part. So, you know, when you lift your chest and throw your shoulders back, yeah, you probably feel in some ways more open and we're told that that makes you look more powerful and, you know, more attractive or taller or whatever, because that's just what we've been 
told over the yeah. years. Yeah. So I think I felt like I have good posture, but in my body, um, the more I did that over the years, the more I, the biggest thing I noticed besides the diastasis recti was um, not being able to breathe. Oh. The more I was pulling my shoulders back and lifting up my ribs, the more I felt like my breath was trapped in my chest all the time. That is so, so cool. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, as someone who's struggled with, like, depression and anxiety and that kind of thing, it's just, it's really interesting how much the physical way you're holding yourself may be, you know, this right. feedback loop right. with what you're feeling. Right. And now looking back and knowing what you know about how bringing that rib cage down really allows the diaphragm to move better makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. It really does. Huh. So looking back, you were able to notice throughout your pregnancy that your body was demonstrating signs of just kind of maybe tissue failure, for lack mm -hmm. of a better word. And then when you when you gave birth, how was your healing after that? Um, my healing was pretty rough. You know, it. Um, I I had an episiotomy um, during my birth, um, which I hadn't wanted. <laughs> and you know, I had a natural birth, which I did want, but I still had this episiotomy, and the healing was really difficult. Like I couldn't sit and I couldn't walk, and. Um, I just felt like, I mean, honestly, I felt like my body was just kind of broken. I mm -hmm. felt like everything, you know, I had gone from being pregnant, and yes, I'd had discomfort, but I felt kind of like this whole person. And then after, I felt like I just, nothing, no parts of my, sorry, the parts of my body were not like communicating with each other. So like, mm -hmm. Walking down the stairs carrying my daughter, I felt like I was going to fall, you know, or um, sitting down was, was painful, um, you know, and I had no strength in my core. So it was, it was really rough. And the, and the birth was traumatic, too. So there was kind of like, you know, it, it, was, it was difficult. It was traumatic, Vanessa, because of the needing to have the episiotomy? Yeah, the episiotomy and my my daughter's birth was, you know, everything was going pretty nicely. I did, I had studied hypnobabies, so I did like this self-hypnosis thing. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm handling this, and I highly recommend hypnobabies, by the way. But then they had been, the midwife, which was at, like at a hospital midwife, had been doing intermittent monitoring of my daughter's heartbeat and then they couldn't find her heartbeat okay. and so all of a sudden the mood of the room just totally flipped from like this zen kind of everyone's just watching and no one's doing any interfering to just like all hands on deck yelling like you know dramatic I remember the you know they they're like get on your back you know and I'm like I don't want to push my baby out of my back but right. it's like no this isn't about you this is about the baby so it was scary. And I mean, I remember the, the nurse who was like, had been lovely and everything. She's yelling. She's like, push like you're pushing out the biggest poop of your life. Right. And like all, and I'm like, my baby is not a poop. Like right. this is not working. <laughs> it's terrible. So yeah, it was, it was a bad, it wasn't, you know, people have worse experiences, but those things, it doesn't, it, it, you know, it doesn't go away if that's what happens, you know, so you have to kind of like 
get up from that and figure out what the next steps are, you know, plus you have a baby now. Right. (laughs) Well, that's about a little overwhelming, right? Huh. Do you, did you have support other than your husband who, who was able to just provide you maybe just a little bit of safety and support in that time? Um, yes and no. I mean, my, my husband's family lives right near us. Mm. Um, but they're not, they weren't really able to care for my daughter. So they did things like bring us food and that, which was very nice, but we didn't have like childcare Mm. other than us for a long time. So, and you know, if I ever, if I could like go back and change it, I would, I think all women should ask for help, you know, or you know, have someone come in and help you. Cause it really is. It's like, it's, you know, you can't take a shower and it's, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. How, how were your, um, when you did your follow-ups with your midwife, um, what was, what was some of her assistance or advice for you with some of the symptoms that you were having? Yeah. So I, I could tell that things did not feel right. So, you know, especially with my pelvic floor. So that was the big thing for me was I could tell that, you know, I had this episiotomy that was kind of slowly healing. And then, but I was having all these symptoms with my pelvic floor that honestly, I just, I didn't know what to make of them. Um, You know, I'd felt like everything was dropping down, like all my organs were dropping down. Okay. Um, and when I use the bathroom, I feel like I was probably like pushing out my organs. So that's like a horrible, I was like, I don't even, but your body is like this this weird feeling of, I couldn't really tell what I was feeling because I think just, I just didn't, and you don't really know what's normal and like, is this going to go back or what? So, um, and you know, if I had to go pee, like I couldn't pee, you know, or I'd have to like more than once so things Mm -hmm. weren't in the right place basically um and I had weird things like strange stabbing pains Mm -hmm. in my pelvis and that were I were bizarre um so when I went to the midwife you know I had like the six-week checkup and she was like stitches look fine and you know she handed me a bag of condoms and was like you're ready to go and like this is you've got to be kidding me like this is not (laughs) realistic like and she had like this glint in her eye too like she knew I'm like this is not helpful um but you know so from that period though you know the prolapse symptoms which is what I had happening kind of kept getting worse and it was by about four months out my daughter was about four months old that I started to get really scared because I'm thinking I just felt like my pelvic floor was becoming less and less functional. Um, so I went to the gynecologist to check in with her on and see what she had to say. Um, and she, she told me, well, it looks like you have a cystocele, which is when your bladder crops down and some uterine prolapse. And this is normal. And this happens to most women and, um, it may get a little better, um, and if it doesn't get better, you know, when you're older, you can have surgery to correct it, you know, and like the surgery is like bladder repair or like a complete hysterectomy and this kind of thing. And I remember sitting there and just, you know, I was already extremely scared about the whole 
I just was really terrified. Right. And I'm thinking, that's what the solution is? And she gave me, she said, well, you can do Kegel exercises. And she gave me like this Xerox that looked like it had been Xerox like five bazillion times. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, and it was like the old, like, when you're at a stoplight in your car, do right. Kegel exercises. Right. And, you know, I had been doing Kegels my whole 20s. Right. Whole 20s, I did Kegel exercises because I thought that was what you were supposed to do. And I had done them do- through my whole pregnancy. I even had a CD that was like a Kegel CD that I'd like put on. It was like the most boring thing in the world. <laughs> it would be like soft jazz and like doing Kegel exercises. <laughs> and I'm like, because this is what they're saying. That's how you, you know, it makes the birth easier and it helps you recover and all this stuff. And so I had, I'm like, I've been doing Kegels. Is there anything else? I had just happened to look online before going in um, and hear about, you know, phys- women's health physical therapy. Right. And they said, and I said, could, is there some kind of physical therapy I could do? And they said, well, this woman was just here like a few weeks ago. And, oh, yeah, you could do that. So honestly, like if I hadn't asked, I would have had no resources other than, you know, maybe you can have surgery someday and like this old Kegel, you know, Xerox. Right. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so you're, it sounds like you're, you know, good thing for the internet, honestly. I, I know it's a curse and a blessing, but it really allows us to get a little more information. Yes. Um, so in your search, you found something because you're searching about prolapse and they talked about PT for pelvic health. Yep. So how was this experience for you? I know it's just like any other um, field. Not all pelvic PTs are created equal. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, well, I, you know, I feel like it was really good to see someone who dealt with this kind of this condition on a regular basis. So, you know, so I really appreciated her being like, you know what? this is the level, you know, this is, you're going to be okay. And she's like, I can't, it can get better. And, um, you know, kind of soothed my nerves about it a bit because I was scared and, you know, the internet is great, but it's good to see somebody in person, you know? So, (laughs) and, but, you know, she, and she did internal work, which was somewhat helpful. And she gave me exercises, but she also gave me a ton of Kegel exercises to do. So I was doing, you know, it'd be like do a hundred Kegels and all these different kinds of Kegels and different positions and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and not a lot of like alignment advice. Mm -hmm. So things were, you know, it's a little bit more of the, like in this particular case of kind of looking at things a little bit more in isolation than, you know, you might want. And, um, I remember feeling confused because I had been going on the internet and doing a lot of research on my own and feeling like there was all this other information that was out there and trying to figure out, you know, whether Kegels were good or bad and squats are good and alignment and what was the right approach and feeling like a lot of confusion over figuring out what I really should be doing. So when you were seeing the pelvic PT, were you, so you were looking online at other options and just trying to have an adjunct to some of the stuff that she was giving you because you'd already been doing the kegels and you're like, what's going on here with all the kegel action? Yes. And, um, 
I, I, you had mentioned some things that you look through, and there are different programs that are available online. And I, and I really, I appreciate um, you saying, you know, it's confusing because so many people have their own shtick and their own bent. And you mentioned your description was you felt paralyzed by all the information out there. Oh yeah. yeah. How how did you how did you work through that? What 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 shifted for you? How did you make a decision to really follow the path that you ended up going on? Well, I mean, it's sort of a combination of things because, for one, you know, I kept seeing the pelvic floor pelvic floor PT person, but I kind of started to look online and kind of pick and choose what I was doing okay. from her and from other things. So, like, I stopped doing the Kegels. I did many less Kegels. Like, I was afraid to stop doing Kegels entirely, but I thought, I'm not going to do 100. Um, and, I, you know, when I would do 100, my pelvic floor felt really tired. And um, so I did, like, 10 Kegels a day or something, or maybe twice a day. Like, mm-hmm. I just cut way back. And then I started to do things like sit on the floor mm-hmm. or um, st- I started to learn more about pelvic positioning and trying to figure out what it, what is a neutral pelvis and it, different people have different opinions on what a neutral pelvis is and um, how is how I'm carrying my body affect throughout the day affecting my pelvic floor and kind of how did I make that shift I mean it was slow I think um, and it wasn't it ended up in the end being starting to understand that there was a connection between what's going on in my pelvic floor and like you know starting to have knee pain again okay and and feeling frustrated that when I would go to the PT and I don't think it's necessarily that she wanted it to be this way it had also to do with insurance but she couldn't like treat me for both things you know so and feeling like okay what can I be doing that's going to help my body all the time and not just one part of my body at one, you know, at a time. Um, so your knee pain started getting stirred up because you just started doing more. Is that what was happening again? Yeah, I started doing more and I started doing squats cause I had learned that squats would be good for my pelvic floor, okay. but I didn't do them with a lot of attention, like a lot of attention to how I should be doing squats. Okay. So I ended up, um, my knee, both my knees got super inflamed, especially on the right side. And, you know, I had this history of knee pain in the past and I was feeling so frustrated because I thought I've got this pelvic floor stuff. My diastasis recti. I've just, I spent like a decade dealing with ankle pain. Like I cannot have my, like my knees, I need to be able to walk and do stuff and take care of my child and be functional. Um, and that was when I started to draw a lot more from Katie Bowman's work and the restorative exercise site Mm -hmm. and put, start to put those pieces together. Okay. So basically you were just doing some self-directed learning. Well, yes and no. I mean, I was doing, um, I was seeing the pelvic floor PT and I was doing research on my own. And then I was doing, um, Tasha Mulligan, the physical therapist, she's like a physical therapist who has an online program. Uh So I was doing that, you know, all these different, yeah, piecing things together. Yeah. And then for you, 
did you find that in combining these different techniques, you had a change in some of the pelvic floor and the abdominal wall, the diastasis recti? Yeah, so I noticed that the more I worked on lengthening my hamstrings and my calves and started to change how I was using my body during the day, that was started to be the key for me to really see improvement. Okay. Yeah. What were some of the biggest changes that you made in how you were moving your body that seemed to make the biggest difference for you? Can you pinpoint maybe two or three? Well, I stopped sitting on the couch. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, I started to sit on the floor and um, I s- made sure that I was not sitting on my, on my sacrum and tailbone. Great. And, you know, from at the beginning, when I started to try to sit on the floor, my pelvis was really tucked under. I had to bolster way up from the floor and take it pretty slowly because it wasn't like I could just get down on the floor. I mean, I could sit, but I was sitting on, you know, sitting on my tailbone. So that was a big, that was a big thing. Um, And, you know, another huge one was starting to understand how, when I was standing, how I was carrying my pelvis. Right. Um, you know, my husband's an artist, and he, when I was pregnant, he did this little, he doesn't do a lot of, like, wood carving, but he was at the time, and he made this little carving of me when I was pregnant. And it's funny, because the alignment of me is in this sculpture, and my pelvis is way forward, so my weight is on my forefoot, and I, you know, I have this big, curve in my low back and I kind of have my shoulders back and it's just this little rough sculpture but when I look at it I think oh yeah that's how I was and you know I continued that same habit after my daughter's birth with the pelvis was like really forward I had really low strength in my glutes so a huge thing was to start shifting my weight back so that my hip was lined up over my the side of my knee and my ankle. Right. And that was work. You know, that was work to do that. Nice. Yeah. So these were things that you just modified throughout the day. It wasn't like that was part of an exercise program necessarily. It was just you did things differently. Yeah, I did things differently, but I had to learn the things. So I did use resources. Yeah. Like on the restorative exercise site, I, I started to get some of the like $5 classes and some different webinars to start to learn, like to put together how, I found it confusing to figure, to jump into all this educating myself. Right, that is overwhelming. <laughs> it's really overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah, um, because you you really, this this whole change for you was driven by this, uh, desire to feel better, to get out of pain, yes? Yes, yeah. So where are you now with some of the symptoms that happened after your pregnancy? Yeah, so now um, now I, well, when I think back, you know, when I was thinking back, you know, the first year after my daughter was born, I could feel the prolapse Every day, like all day, it was just like a constant feeling all the time. Um, and so it now, you know, I've gone through like this stage of that getting less and less. And now I've, I will have like I had three months in a row where I had no symptoms at all. You know, cool. so it was a huge thing for me to go from that being something that was like 
I felt like I couldn't ignore it. It was just because you physically are feeling uncomfortable right. to just being like, I don't even think about this, you know, unless it's, you know. Um, but there was a period of time where there were like certain times of the month, and I think this is common for women, like around ovulation or like during your period, you will have a recurrence of like some of symptoms, yes. but nothing at all like before. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. really pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. So how long now have you been, are you postpartum? Um, my daughter will be four in November. Okay. Wow. That is really good progress. What about abdominal wall? So that, um, has, is great. I mean, I, um, the more that I worked on getting my ribs, down and stopping that habit, I was like very, had a very strong habit of pulling back my shoulders all the time and lifting my rib cage. The more that I've worked on allowing my ribs to drop down and doing psoas releases and um, work in that area, that honestly was like not even something I ended up having to work on specifically to heal it. You know, it wasn't like I had, I did a real like ab program or something like that yeah you know that's so good to hear because there are so many people who come to come to me and are requesting that they want the key exercises to tone their abs they want their they want their pre-mama ab yeah and it's hard to really understand coming from their point of view that really being able to get the body in a better position so the muscles can actually work, mm-hmm. um, that that's really going to create changes. So you've actually went through that experience. And, and had you been through this experience, would you have believed that, knowing the, that you were a kind of that fit, fit enthusiast? <laughs> no, but my expectation, like my body, I want my body to be functional I mean, everybody wants to, like, look good or whatever, but the the experience of the last, you know, five years or more has really made me appreciate function, function over form. Right. <laughs> and, you know, because, um, and it, because I want to be able to do things, you know, and that's what is most important to me. Right. Um, yeah. So you've noticed that that abdominal separation has gotten smaller significantly, yeah? Yeah, much smaller. Yeah. Great. I mean, and- it's very yeah, it's it's great. And I was cuz even as as recently as January, um I was still having some kind of discomfort in the like right in the, the linea alba. Okay. A little bit like a slight like if I did certain activities I would notice like a pulling sensation and I thought I've got to really check in with myself and how much I'm still lifting up my chest and when I started to relax that down um yeah that's really made a huge made a huge difference Mm. and do you feel stronger yeah I feel a lot stronger yes that's so cool you know that I think that's probably one of the hardest cues um like you said it kind of brings up some other emotional stuff about that whole chest lift it is you know in yoga I can't remember which yoga is Anusara maybe that's all that heart opening type yoga it's that power move how what were some of the cues that really helped you relax that down and just allow yourself to be there do you have any anything specific that could help other people 
Well, you know, it's a. The, I was thinking about it just the other day because, um, I don't know. I try to do. I don't know. You have to kind of like when you relax your ribs down. You have to be okay with looking a little different than you think you should look. Okay. For one. So you have to kind of let go of whatever, if you have a habit of lifting your chest and you think it makes you feel a certain way, then being okay with looking different than how you, you know, expect to look. Um, But I find a lot of people, it takes time to be able to learn to move parts of your body separately from each other. So for some Mm -hmm. people in the beginning, they just physically aren't, their body is not ready to just even relax. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, you know, finding the time in your day to lay down and, you know, bolster yourself and just start to relax. Because letting yourself actually relax. That is a beautiful point. And I I could not agree with you more wholeheartedly on that. That is... A keystone. Yeah. For sure. Okay, Vanessa, this this whole journey for you has, sounds like it kind of had some ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, from my perspective, this is, this is like real life experience. You are a very, um, very great example of are an average female in our culture, right? So to me, I find your story very inspiring and it's not something that you were able to resolve overnight. You didn't go to that magic therapist or practitioner who had the the best hands to cure you. This was something that took some years for you to unravel and really be able to find yourself here. So Share a little bit, if you don't mind, you've really, it sounds like you've made this incredible change with yourself, and you've even, um, um, we didn't really talk about how you ended up transitioning into going through the whole certification progress, pro, um, program for restorative exercise, so I want to be able to have you just share, you went through this program, and what are you doing now, because now you have your own practice, Yes, I do. It's very exciting. Yeah. Yeah, so I have my own practice. It's called Align for Life. And um, so I do restorative exercise with people. So I do alignment and natural movement. Excellent. And, you know, I do workshops. I just did a pelvic floor workshop a few weeks ago. And, you know, I work with people with all kinds of chronic pain or, or, I mean, I'm definitely interested in working with women who are pregnant or, you know, have experiences similar to mine. Because I do feel like just women's health in general is an area, you know, we don't talk about these things a lot. And um, it's really important that there's support for women as they're dealing with different health issues that they come across. Right. Now, are you also offering services online? Do you do uh, Skype sessions? Yep, so I do Skype sessions, and then I'm, I'm, I'm based in, in northern Vermont. Okay, which, yeah. which sounds like a lovely place to visit. I would it love is a to lovely. go to Vermont. Yeah, it's beautiful. Okay, wonderful. So, Vanessa, um, is there anything else that you would want to share before we close today? Um, is there anything else? Um, 
I guess I would just say that it's a process Mm -hmm. and to be open to, um, like being patient with yourself as you, if, if anybody who's out there who's dealing with pain or, you know, scary pelvic floor issues or, um, you know, painful sex or any of those things, like to be, um, allow yourself time and, and realize that there's definitely ways that things can get, can improve a lot. Um, if you sort of let your body sort of start listening to your body and tuning into what you're doing throughout your, throughout your day, it makes a huge difference. Um, and yeah, but patience is key. (laughs) Patience is key. Yeah. Well, Vanessa, thank you so much for your time this morning. I really appreciate you coming in and sharing your story. And I'm so excited for you and your business aligned for life. And I hope listeners out there will take advantage if you're not located in Vermont to, um, go to the link. I will be, I have the link here at the, at the bottom of the podcast and you can find Vanessa and you can uh, have a Skype session with her. Thank you so much, Vanessa. Thanks, Susan. 